Well, good morning, everybody. This is Tobias Rex, and this is the Sharks, Dinosaurs, and Mythical Creatures podcast coming at ya. Today's episode is going to be honoring Chinese New Year because of the creature they worship. Because you see, for a long time now, stories of monstrous creatures have been spoken of. And these creatures are known to everybody. Just say its name, and bam, the image is in the mind. You see, while some distant alien planets out there may have things like flying beavers or swimming cats, we have dragons. A dragon is a large, legendary serpentine creature that appears in the folklore of many cultures the world over. Beliefs about dragons vary drastically by region, but they are most commonly depicted as having wings, horns, four legs, and capable of breathing fire. Dragons in eastern cultures are usually depicted as wingless four-legged creatures that have an above-average intelligence. The earliest attested reports of these creatures tend to resemble giant snakes. And these creatures are first described in the mythologies of the ancient Near East, and they appear in ancient art and literature. And commonalities between dragon traits are often a hybridization of bird-like, cat-like, and lizard-like features. And they may include things like snake-like features, reptilian scaly skin, four legs with three or four toes on each foot, spinal nodes running down the back, a tail, and a serrated jaw with rows of teeth, like a modern shark. Several modern scholars believe that huge, extinct, or migrating crocodiles bear the closest resemblance, especially when they're encountered in places like forests or swamps, and they're most likely the, the template of modern dragon imagery. And the, the earliest attested dragons all resemble snakes or bear snake-like features, and it was concluded that the reason why dragons appear in nearly every culture is because of the humans' innate fear of snakes and other animals that were major predators of our ancestors back then. Dragons are usually said to reside in places like dank caves, deep pools, wild mountain reaches, sea bottoms, and haunted forests, all of which would have been fraught with danger for, for our ancestors. And in her first book, The Fossil Hunters, Dinosaurs, Mammoths, and Myth in Greek and Roman Times from 2000, Adrienne Mayer argues that some stories of dragons may have been inspired by ancient discoveries of fossils belonging to dinosaurs and other prehistoric animals. She argues that the dragon lore of modern India may have been inspired by, in her words, observations of oversized, extraordinary bones in the fossil beds below the Himalayas. And she also says that ancient Greek artistic depictions of the monster of Troy may have been influenced by fossils of Samotherium, a prehistoric giraffe. In China, a region where fossils of large prehistoric creatures are common, these remains are frequently identified as dragon bones, and they're commonly used in Chinese medicine. However, Mayer is careful to point out that not all stories of dragons and giants are inspired by fossils, and that Scandinavia has many stories of dragons and sea monsters, but it has been long been considered barren of large fossils. In one of her later books, she states that many dragon images around the world were based on folk knowledge or exaggerations of living reptiles, such as Komodo dragons, Gila monsters, iguanas, or alligators. In China, dragons are closely associated with rain, and drought is thought to be caused by a dragon's laziness. And prayers telling dragons to bring rain are very common in Chinese texts. 
and the luxuriant dew of the spring and, and autumn festivals attributed to the Han Dynasty scholar prescribes making clay figurines of dragons during a time of drought and having young men and boys pace and dance among the figurines in order to encourage dragons to bring rain. And texts from the Qing Dynasty tend to advise hurling the bone of a tiger or dirty object into the pool where the dragon lives, is like since dragons can't stand tigers or dirt. And the dragon of the pool will, will, will then cause heavy rain in order to drive it out. Rain-making rituals involving dragons are still very common in Chinese villages, where each village has its own god said to bring rain, and many of these gods are dragons. And although stories of the Dragon Kings are among the most popular dragon stories in China today, these stories did not begin to emerge until the Eastern Han, when Buddhist stories of a serpentine rain god became popular. And these people began to invent their own dragon kings, and eventually such stories developed in every major Chinese religion. And according to these stories, every body of water they have there is ruled by a dragon king, each with a different power, rank, and ability, so people began establishing temples across the countryside dedicated to these figures. The modern western image of a dragon developed in western Europe during the Middle Ages through, through the combination of the snake-like dragons of Roman literature, references to near eastern European dragons preserved in the Bible, and western European folk traditions. And the period between the 11th and 13th centuries represents the height of European interests in dragons as living creatures. And many traditional Chinese customs revolve around dragons. During various holidays, including the Spring and Lantern Festival, villagers will construct an approximately 16-foot-long dragon made of grass, cloth, paper, and bamboo strips. And when that's finally constructed, they will parade through the city as part of a dragon dance. And the original purpose of this ritual was to bring good weather and a strong harvest, but now it is done mostly for entertainment. And during another festival, several villages, or even a whole province, will hold a dragon boat race, in which people race across a body of water in boats that are carved to look like the dragons, while a large audience watches on the banks of the river. This custom is traditionally said to have originated after the poet Ku Yuan committed suicide by drowning himself in a river, and people raced out in boats hoping to save him. But most historians agree that the custom actually originated much earlier as a ritual to avert ill fortune. To, to avert ill fortune. Starting during the Han Dynasty and continuing until the Qing Dynasty, the Chinese emperor gradually became closely identified with dragons, and emperors themselves claimed to be the incarnation of a divine dragon. Eventually, dragons were only allowed to appear on clothing, houses, and articles of everyday use belonging to the emperor, and any commoner possessing them sadly had to be executed. But in 1911, after the last Chinese emperor was overthrown, this situation changed and now many ordinary Chinese people identify themselves as descendants of dragons. And dragons are featured in many works of modern literature, particularly within the fantasy genre. One of them describes the Jabberwock, who is a kind of dragon. And John Tenniel, a famous political cartoonist, humorously depicted the Jabberwock as wearing the waistcoat, buck teeth, and eyes of a Victorian university lecturer. And in works of comedic children's fantasy, dragons often fulfill the role of a magic fairy tale helper. And in such works, rather than being frightening as they're often depicted, dragons are instead represented as being harmless, benevolent, and inferior to humans. They are sometimes shown living in contact with humans or in isolated communities of only dragons. Although popular throughout the late 19th and early 20th centuries, these stories began to grow increasingly rare after the 1960s due to the demand for more serious literature. 
and one of the most iconic modern dragons is Smog from J.R.R. Tolkien's classic novel, The Hobbit. Dragons also appear in the best-selling Harry Potter series by J.K. Rowling, and other prominent works depicting dragons include Anne McCaffrey's Dragon Riders of Pern, um, Ursula K. Le Guin's Earth Sea Cycle, George R.R. Martin's series A Song of Ice and Fire, and Christopher Paolini's Inheritance Cycle. And Sandra Martina Schwab writes, with a few exceptions, that do include that do include McCaffrey's Pern novels and the 2002 film Reign of Fire, dragons seem to fit more into the medievalized setting of fantasy literature than into the technological world of science fiction. Indeed, they have been called the emblem of fantasy, and the hero's fight against the dragon emphasizes and celebrates his masculinity, whereas, whereas revisionist fantasies of dragons and dragon slaying often undermine the traditional gender roles. In children's literature, the friendly dragon becomes a powerful ally in battling the children's fears. The very popular role-playing game Dungeons & Dragons, or D&D for short, makes heavy use of them. After recent discoveries in paleontology, fictional dragons are sometimes depicted as not having any front legs, but walking on their back feet and the wrists of their wings when they're on the ground, kind of like pterosaurs did. But this is actually a completely different creature, which is known as a wyvern. And one thing that really annoys me about some people is that they can't seem to tell the difference between a dragon and a wyvern. Whenever they see a creature that has wings and breathes fire, their immediate first thought is dragon. But the difference between a dragon and a wyvern is that dragons are quadrupeds, they walk on all fours, whereas wyverns have only two legs, therefore they use their wrists to help them walk. And even though they're different, dragons and wyverns do have some similarities, such as being able to fly and breathe flames. Dragons have appeared in tons of films and video games, such as the Elder Scrolls game called Skyrim. For those of you who played that, you know what I'm talking about. You mainly encounter specific individuals along the main storyline, but you can occasionally see wild ones flying above you. And they're safe as long as you don't aggro them. <laughs> Their bipedal cousins, wyverns, show up in Ark Survival Evolved, where, where like all the creatures in that game, they can be tamed and ridden. Ark's wyverns come in five versions, common, fire, ice, lightning, and poison. And a nameless female dragon appears in all four Shrek films. At first, she appears as the guardian of the castle in which Princess Fiona is trapped. After Fiona is rescued, Donkey makes friends with and tames the dragon, who later kills the evil Lord Farquaad by devouring him. Later, she is revealed to have married Donkey, and they now have Donkey-Dragon hybrid babies. And the most popular animated franchise specifically about dragons is the How to Train Your Dragon franchise from DreamWorks. There are many different dragon species in these films, but we'll stick to the common ones. First, there is one called the Gronkle, and that is a bumblebee-like dragon that can eat rocks to make fire. Then, the Deadly Natter, and this one looks a lot like a theropod dinosaur at first glance, but they have the hottest fire in the dragon world, and they can shoot spines from their tails. Then, the hideous Zippelback, and this predator has two heads, and that means twice the danger, because one head breathes gas, and the other one ignites it. Then, there's the monstrous Nightmare. Only the best Vikings can tame those, and these dragons have a nasty habit of, of cloaking themselves in a fire jacket. But there is one dragon that nobody has ever tamed before. They refer to it as the Night Fury, and this dragon is jet black, and this makes it almost impossible to spot in the night sky. The only sign of its presence is a dive bombing noise followed by a plasma explosion. And despite being described as terrifying, 
the Night Fury has an adorable cat-like face with large eyes, and its mouth has retractable teeth, which makes one tamed individual go by the name of Toothless, who later becomes the king of the dragons. Have you ever wondered what a dragon would look like if it were part of the biological world? Well, that show I mentioned, Beast Legends, has the best example. And Beast Legends crew, if you're out there listening to this, I'm doing this in a good way because I'm a fan of your show. I love it. I'm doing this in a good way. Uh, and it was on their episode titled Fire Dragon. And the topic was on the legend of a Polish dragon named Smok. Scott, Catherine, and Mike stayed in their Beast Lab, as they called it, uh, while Steve and Francis went to Poland. And their first destination was Krakow Castle, where they found the bones of the alleged dragon, but they were actually the bones of a prehistoric mammal. So, using the bones, Francis decided to sketch a picture of what could come from them, and the result was an incredibly obese, blimp-like lizard that could only move by rolling. <laughs> Funny, ain't it? A creature that is too heavy to walk and uses its belly to roll? If you saw that, you wouldn't be scared, you'd just laugh. <laughs> So Mike, so Mike decided to use the sketch as the model, but it didn't turn out too well. Later, Steve and Francis went to the Holy Cross Mountains, where they saw footprints in the ground. These were revealed to be the footprints from an unknown species of theropod dinosaur. And so, it was decided to use the body of a theropod as the base genome. And Scott said, quote-unquote, your, your worst nightmare would be true if a theropod were chasing after you. And this dragon was said to swallow its prey in one gulp. And in the modern world, alligators show a prime example of that, as they lift their heads up and let gravity help the prey get down their throats. So, the creature is given an alligator's head and jaw. And, it, and Catherine suggested that it would need to have fangs, as most dragons over the years have been depicted with them. So, for that, a puff adder snake is examined. And a puff adder not only has fangs, but it can also make its body swell up as a threat display. And that feature is given to their dragon and its head is shortened to make the nostrils bigger and more menacing-looking. And the legend depicts the dragon as having really tough skin, so alligator and garfish armor is used. And a dragon obviously has to fly, right? So Francis and Steve went to an area that was appropriately named the Back Cave. Then, after giving the dragon wings, it is tested out in one of Europe's most ancient forests, where it would feed on prey such as the wild boar. They decided a forest is perfect for a dragon, but, there's a, but there are some problems. The forest is where the dragon would have to hunt in, and like most predators, it'll be either equivalent to or two to three times the size of its prey. So, so realistically, a dragon can't be like an enormous, demonic, 100-foot lizard. 10 to 30 feet sounds more legit. Also, the forest they were in was way too thick, so if you imagine yourself as like a big bat-like dragon, like the ones you see in the movies, you're never going to find any food if you're in a forest, because by constantly flapping your wings, you're going to make a lot of noise. And it was stated that a really large creature isn't going to be able to fly through such thick vegetation very easily. So though the best compromise they could come to is an animal that glides. And there are some lizards that can do that, and there's flying squirrels, and they have fleshy webs merging their arms and legs. And Scott agreed with this suggestion, as he said once again, quote-unquote, to imagine this thing using the forest structurally, moving up into the heights and canopy, watching for prey like the wild boar on the ground, and then swooping down from the trees. And when it's in an urban setting, it can do that to people. So, the dragon is designed, but it's not a complete, fully functional dragon unless it does one thing. And what is that? Yes, it needs to breathe flames. But that was a tough one, because no animals can do that. 
And so Scott came up with an idea. And it might not seem realistic to you, but it's the best that he could come up with, and I support it. Here's what he said. He said there's no animals out there besides humans that produce fire, but in order to make fire, you need three things. You need a fuel source, you need air or oxygen, and you need heat, as well as a spark, you know, to cause the reaction. Plus, he said that if you can, in his words, somehow harness the flammable methane gas inside the dragon's belly so that instead of coming out the backside, you can spin it towards the front. He also said that if you need to make a spark, then you could probably borrow something from electric eels. And that way, you can generate fire. So they decided to use the snake fangs as conduits for the spark. So bottom fangs would be needed too. So how that would work is when the dragon opens its mouth, the snake fangs will extend from the gums and cause the spark as the air and methane mix at the base of the dragon's throat. And when the dragon roars, the force of wind will cause the spark to ignite into flames. So using that feature, the dragon is set free in all of its fire-breathing glory. And for the sound effects, I I'm not usually picky whenever it comes to dragon voices. In my mind, dragons can make any sound they want to make. They can sound like an elephant. A lion. Tiger. A leopard. Walrus? So, dragons can basically make any sound they want to make. They don't have to sound like a specific animal like dinosaurs. But here's a sound that I really think fits a dragon. I'm not sure what animal it comes from, but it's these distant howls. Haunting, isn't it? And you can tell by, by how that sounds that it's far away. And here's what the fire breath would sound like. And that is my New Year's special. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it. I sure enjoyed it. If you did, if you did, be sure to like and subscribe to my podcast. It comes out every two weeks. This is Tobias Rex saying Godspeed and signing off.